0: Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinac. This week, I introduce you to the guy who was instrumental in building what you know today as Blaze TV. I'm talking the very beginning. I'll introduce you to Dominic Salvatore next. First, I want to talk to you about America's 40th president, Ronald Reagan. Did you realize back in 1984 when Michael Jackson was badly burned on the set of a Pepsi commercial, Reagan wrote a letter to the King of Pop offering his support... While the singer recovered. In fact, Reagan himself suffered an onset injury while filming a movie back in the 1930s. A gun was shot so close to Reagan's ear that he suffered partial hearing loss in that ear, which lasted a lifetime. Reagan's injury didn't slow him down in his acting career, his rooting out of communists in Hollywood, and eventually on to the governorship of California and, of course, the U.S. presidency as well. The great folks at American Pride Roasters Coffee have a perfect brew to honor Reagan with a blend which is available at aprcoffee.com. Oh, and don't forget to use promo code ATM for 10% off at checkout. Get you 10% off your entire purchase. Now, the Reagan blend is a powerful cup with a micro lot blend of Colombian beans. It's got a sweet, bold flavor, uh, memorable dark caramel edge. It's a treat for the coffee aficionado in your world, as well as those who just enjoy a great way to start their Saturday mornings. Head over to aprcoffee.com, try the Reagan blend today, and at checkout, like I said, promo code ATM, 10% off. That's aprcoffee.com.
1: You're listening to At The Mic with Keith an independent podcast production.
0: Dominic Salvatore is my guest this week. Dominic and I were hired by Glenn Beck. It wasn't even the Blaze then. Uh, We were hired within a few weeks of each other back in uh, the summer of 2009. My goodness, over 13 years ago, we started working together for Glenn up in New York City. Dom was such a hard worker. I watched him every day just work so hard, instrumental in building Glenn Beck's GBTV that eventually morphed into what you know as Blaze TV. Uh, Dom and I, we sat down and chatted about his interesting life for this week's episode of At The Mic. Here's our conversation. He's a great guy. I'm so grateful he could make time, and so grateful that you could as well. Here's Dominic Salvatore, my guest this week on At The Mic. I'm going to call you Dom, because that's what I call you, but do you prefer Dom? I've never asked you. It's uh, technically Dominic <laughs> Salvatore. There's that's a Salvatore. right. Yeah no it's just Salvatore it's See a, I can't get either first or the last name right bro It's amazing that you agreed to do an interview with someone who doesn't even know your name So Dominic uh, Salvatore
1: middle name uh, Anthony Yep a man Anthony, with three, okay, wow. yeah, a man with three first names you know
0: Wow that's pretty <laughs> impressive dude okay good for you I will say that you were the first Dom that I ever knew and um I forgot what happened at some point. We've worked together at Glenbeck's Blaze TV. Yep. And. I don't, I don't know how it came up in conversation, but I didn't even realize that one of the most popular Christmas songs of all time was Dominic the Donkey. I yep. you told me this. Yes,
1: Dominic the Donkey. <laughs> a chinkity chinky. I guess I, ho, ho, ho. I've only heard it a couple times <laughs> in my life, you know.
0: I know. I've lived a sheltered <laughs> life. So thanks for enlightening me on uh, a Christmas song that I guess everybody in the world knew about but me.
1: Well, all right. those that are Italian from, you know, the New York tri-state area, basically. I, I think. See, I, I see. think once you leave this... Uh, this this uh, radius of New York City probably diminishes past Pittsburgh.
0: Okay, okay, I got you, because uh, <laughs> I was born and raised in the South, and I had never, ever heard that song. And when I met you, I was, ooh, 35, 36 years old. I was like, what is this? Anyways, and now, now I hear it places. But, okay, so, Dom. Yes. You and I <laughs> met in 2009. We started within weeks of each other. Working for Glenn Beck, as I recall.
1: That's right. And you know, I always forget that you came on board only like a few weeks prior to me because... You, you kind of seemed like you really knew what you were doing there, that I was like, this guy must have been here for a long time. So you, <laughs> you, you put
0: on a good I facade. I was faking it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I was totally faking it. Yeah, my first day with Glenn was August 3rd, 2009. Yours had to have also been in August, right? Maybe it, September. It
1: was. Yeah, I do know it was in August. Um, okay. But yeah, I think, and in fact, uh, the date, like August 17th, rings a bell to yeah. me for some reason.
0: Yeah. Which would Very make cool. sense. So... We worked together in New York City, and we also worked in Dallas together. We'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, But you were born and raised, like you said, in that New York tri-state area, correct? You were born uh, in New Jersey. Right,
1: yeah, a little town uh, called Livingston, New Jersey, and uh, we actually... My parents uh, had, had a house in Clifton, uh, New Jersey, until I was about two or three, and then we moved to the famous Wayne, New Jersey, where everybody knows yeah. about Wayne because of Fountains of Wayne, and I think they sang that song, Stacy's Mom has got it going on.
0: Such a great <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> Stacey's Mom, and they had a couple of albums before that, uh, like Radiation Vibe. I highly recommend everyone go and listen to that song. In fact, there's an album, Utopian Parkway, that's their second album that is just excellent from start to finish and the reason i am going in depth here on fountains of wayne (laughs) is because i don't want them to be painted as as this one hit wonder that had a music video with rachel hunter in it that everyone remembers i'm telling you such a talented band uh fountains of wayne people got to check this out so so you grew up in wayne new jersey where yeah so if i'm wrong because you're You told me, you're the reason I know about this. Fountains of Wayne is what? It was original. it's long gone now, but it was
1: one of the, uh, it was a family owned business that was on Route 46, which is kind of a major highway that cuts through Wayne. And it was where you would go to buy like your, um, Lawn ornaments, like big, tall, t- tall statues that, you know, would have like a little boy peeing into a water, into a, a, bir- a bird bath or something. Or you, Yeah, or you could buy like, you know, your outdoor patio furniture there. Um, and then just basically over time, uh, you know, Home Depot came in and just undercut these guys and the uh-huh. family had to essentially sure. sell the business and move on.
0: So that is a band that I was familiar with that I really liked for, I guess gosh 15 years before i knew the origin of the band because they're not
1: even from wayne i think they drove by fountains of Uh wayne uh and they were yeah when you would drive by it there were these crazy statues that was just like who would put that on Uh their front lawn and but apparently somebody would
0: (laughs) somebody did yeah i mean and you dominic Salvatore, are the reason why I know about that score that no longer exists, Uh, Fountains of Wayne. A a very good band that that people need to check out. Are you and I the same age? What year were you born, I was born in 83. I am... uh Oh, my God. Yes. Okay, I'm I'm old. Yes. You're not even 40. No,
1: almost. Almost. Uh, okay. you, know, you know, you and I are that generation of, it's like, you know, I knew what life was like before the internet. You know, I remember even before AOL, there was things like Prodigy that had all those same kind mm-hmm. of features, you know, to date yourself a little bit. Yeah. And now, like, my six-year-old son knows how to use a tablet better than me.
0: It's fascinating to see... Myself, I am 46 years old. I will say that it's amazing that I show my 97-year-old grandmother how to use Roku. Yeah. Because she doesn't understand it. I I shouldn't say she doesn't understand anymore because she's really taken to it. But I have to show her the Roku stuff. I have to explain to her how to use a tablet. My kids come along and they have to show me things on my phone. Um, They have to explain to me um, different things in technology and and how things work. It's just amazing to see um, the different levels of technology in the age range where that is in their, I guess, technological wheelhouse, but... I was, as you were talking about life before the internet, I was thinking back. I got into college, University of Nebraska yeah. in 1994. I remember putting in an AOL desk, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, and just checking out and thinking that was the coolest thing while well, you waited, like literally, I'm not exaggerating kids, you waited five minutes for the graphics on a on your computer monitor to they would come down
1: line by line from the top to the bottom. Line by
0: line. I could just yeah. see it like it was yesterday. And, and to dial in, you'd have to dial in through a phone yeah. line. And you would pray <laughs> that your mom didn't pick up the phone and disconnect you. Right, yes, disconnect you. But I had forgotten about Prodigy until you said that and
1: Prodigy oh my goodness the fuck. Yeah, there was another one too People before have... that even.
0: I feel like I
1: I kinda got my hands dirty um, in, but I can't
0: There was Mind Spring. The, or was that that was an Atlanta thing? Maybe I don't know. There's Juno. Yeah. if you recall that. I play. I internet. I used to it?
1: play a lot also on Internet Relay Chat, which was mostly used for the sharing of files that might not be properly owned by those sharing them. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I the, see. I
0: see. Oh, oh! I just remembered. Remember the first browser, and and it got in a big thing with Netscape. Microsoft, and they yeah. destroyed it or something. Netscape, Netscape which yep.
1: battled with Internet Explorer, and then. They gave away Internet Explorer for free, so nobody had to buy Netscape anymore, and that was it. Bill Gates won that one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yep. Yes, he did. Okay. So you grew up right there in the shadow. Yeah, of New York it's City. Uh,
1: Wayne. Wayne is only about I think it's like 17 miles uh, to the Lincoln Tunnel. So I mean, to give you an idea of how how close it is, you know, in the 90s when the Yankees were really dominating Major League Baseball with the core four that they had, mm. we were able to walk out of high school, like after the bell rang, not cut school, but then just jump on a bus for $4.50 right on the corner. And in a half hour, I would be standing in Times Square. It was so easy. We were able to go to the parade once when they won the World Series. And I still made it home for dinner. My parents had no idea that I went to the parade.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is I think awesome. I was 16 that year. <laughs> see, that is awesome because, see, I am a lifelong Braves fan. And they won the World Series in 1995, and there was a Braves parade, and I remember being one of the few people in school, like 90% of the school went to Atlanta for the Braves (laughs) parade, and I was fuming all day, Dom, because I'm thinking to myself, none of these kids are nearly as big as Braves fans as I am. I should be at that parade, and here I am, goody two-shoes at school. You know, just sitting in a classroom chatting with a teacher because i'm the only kid in there maybe a couple of nerds in the back yes no, <laughs> yeah, too. so maybe about three or four nerds in the classroom i should have been at that well, even at Greg anyway. Maddox, so yeah. uh, but that's good for you but of course you guys you yankees <laughs> fans i specifically remember my boss back in the late 90s early 2000s radio legend ken charles i would sit in his office every day for a meeting uh, he and myself and Pat Gray, who I work with at the Blaze currently. So we were in Houston, Texas, and I remember every day having to sit in that meeting and stare on the, across from my sightline was this long I want you to imagine as you've probably seen it, this long, probably, I don't know 10, 12 foot long, narrow picture frame thing with what about 25 plus world championships that the Yankees have won over the years and I'm just sitting there thinking, wow, Braves have won. Yep. They have won. <laughs> anyway, so good for you, Yankees fan. Speaking of the Yankees, I was going to get to this later, but since we're talking baseball in the Yankees, you ran into Bernie Williams, famous New York Yankee. if I'm not mistaken, at some point. That's pretty cool. Uh,
1: yeah, so actually, that was a really funny story, because uh, ironic, uh, we would end up not even talking about baseball. So uh, oh. right after our I had left Fox News to come work with you guys for Glenn. Uh there was a great burger place on like uh, 10th Avenue. The bathrooms were all unisex and everybody washed their hands in at a central latrine kind of uh sink if you would so there was like seven spouts that were coming out like almost looked like a watering well for horses so i i i was there i was there washing my hands and i'm like all soaped up and lathered up and i see this big guy comes walking in behind me and i see his reflection in the mirror and i was like that's bernie williams and so he realizes that i see him and he's like so uh how does this work? You just use any bathroom, like because the bathrooms were just to- they were like water closets. You know, it's just a toilet behind a closed door. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, no, you know, it's it's all unisex, and then we all wash our hands together here. And he was like, Okay, well, I appreciate it. I'm like Bernie, you know, I just want to tell you, man, I'm a huge fan. And he's like, Ah, thank you. And I could tell he thinks I'm about talking about baseball. And I was like, I just saw you play on the Huckabee show. You're you're really an amazing guitarist. I had no idea. I was like, I had no idea that you were doing that when. uh You know, when I was watching you play baseball and he was like, oh, wow, thank you. And then he was even impressed that I knew he had a show coming up at William Patterson University, which is in Wayne. And I was like, I actually saw the alert that you're going to be playing at Willie P. I'm hoping that I could get there and see. And he was like, oh, wow, man. Thank you. Thank you. It was just a really, really great meeting him. And then I was like, I would love to shake your hand. uh, But at this time, I'm still washing my hands. (laughs) So we kind of like gave each other that like COVID (laughs) elbow, if you will. You know, like, yeah. hey, man, <laughs> right? So, yeah, that's cool. That's awesome, man. So I had no idea. Yeah, very, very well, too. And classical guitar, where uh, none of that, like, um, wow. you know, I don't, I don't know how to play guitar. But if you think of it like a band like Nirvana, how it's like all major power chords, so. When you watch Bernie play, though, his fingers are flying over the keys like Elton John on the keyboard or something. You know, his fingers—I should say—are flying over the strings. Wow. There's no keys on a keyboard, dumb.
0: Well, a key—a uh, guitar. Uh, yeah, we're uh, a product you know, of the you know, '80s. So you were too nice of a guy to say. By the way, can I just say, Bernie? It's it's wrong that you are so talented <laughs> yeah. in areas. Okay, jerk, get yeah. out of the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. I can't even yeah. look at you. Baseball superstar in. A primo guitar yep. player get yep. out <laughs> so we will revisit um your childhood and growing up in new jersey because i know uh there's a, a big story that uh from that that we need to get to but let's yep. fast forward yep. for a moment here and you went to manhattan college yep yep yeah i guess uh, you wrote in here alumni include rudy giuliani that's pretty cool
1: <laughs> Yep. um and okay. james patterson also the famous author Oh, very cool. Okay, yeah. so
0: what did you major in there? I, I I don't want to assume I know your career, but um, did you go to school for broadcasting then?
1: Uh, actually, it was a communications major. So, communications. and what's funny? Yeah, yeah what's funny? Sort of to you know to back up to even going to Manhattan College. The reason I wanted to go to school in New York City was uh, my I, I should tell you that I had a, an amazing high school television teacher named John Randall, mm-hmm. who who was actually he worked at MSNBC and he retired from there with, a, I think, a great pension because they used to do those back then. And <laughs> and, and he took up teaching as a second career, but he taught us everything like sots and B-roll and how to produce a package. So that I was by my senior year, I had already had three years of television uh, experience from editing on me, on uh, Media 100, which I think eventually became Final Cut Pro. I was also editing on tape to tape decks. So I was really into this idea of like, I want to be in movies or TV or something. So it was like, well, the places that those happen in are New York City and Los Angeles. And I didn't want to go as far as Los Angeles uh, to go to school or, you know, go to California to go to college. And uh, it was my senior year. I would end up having uh, free tickets to go see a movie called Chalk a Lot that was a screener copy. And afterwards, I was asked to stay and speak in a uh, a focus group. And so in the focus group, there was about ten of us, and I talked uh, a couple things about the movie, how like, you know, it, I think at the time the movie when we saw it was in black and white, and I suggested that like at the end of the movie, maybe like you know the when the town comes back to life because the chocolate is so good that you should bring the color back into the film, and a woman named Meryl Poster who uh, was listening in on the focus group, it turns out, was the executive producer of this Academy Award-winning film, Truckalot. And she approached me after the focus group and said, listen, I thought you spoke really well, and I would love to have you intern in my office. Oh, cool. Now, at the time, I don't think she realized that I was still in high school and that I was only a senior in high school. Uh Uh-oh. And, uh, you know, this was kind of a really good thing, though, because like with all the stuff going on at home, I had brought home some good news to my parents. Like, you know, this person from Miramax wants me to come work in their office. What ends up happening, I called her office. I spoke to her assistants. They're like, you know, absolutely. Any day you want to come in, Meryl said, it's fine. You can come by. So I came in and I would eventually start going there like every Tuesday and Thursday. I would get out of school and hop on that bus we talked about. And uh, I would go down to Franklin Street in Tribeca and work in her office till about seven o'clock at night. And when I mean work in her office, like, dude, some of the stuff I had to do was like your typical PA kind of work. Like, we need we need 10 copies of this script that is three that is 300 pages long. So like, Uh So, you know, like it sounds like an easy task until like the feeder and the co- photocopy machine breaks and now the pages are out of order and you're like, oh, my God, I have to start all this all over. Oh, it was supposed to be three hole punched. OK, now I got to change the paper out. Um, and, I, you know, like so I was always I was there like doing these kind of like uh Administrative duties, things basically that I could tell her assistants didn't want to do, and it was cool. You know, I was <laughs> I was just happy to have my foot in the door at a big place like Miramax because mm-hmm. at this time, uh, before Harvey Weinstein came to be known for what he is today, uh, <laughs> Miramax Miramax was known for like Pulp Fiction and you know like right. the Jay the J and Silent Bob's and also Dimension Films was part of Miramax. So you had Scary Movie and I know what you did last summer, like all those kind of cool stuff that I was like. And my dad was pushing like, you know, just make sure you're always nice there, like always be a good kid and like just anything they need you to do, just go ahead and do it for them because maybe like, you know, you go to school in New York City, you maintain this, this internship and you can get a job there when you're done. So that was kind of why I was like, all right, I, I need to go to a school in New York City. And uh, the, the best school for me was looking like Fordham or Manhattan College. And uh, Fordham, I got waitlisted on. And then it was like, I got the acceptance letter to Manhattan College. And ironic, Manhattan College is not actually in Manhattan. It's in a a very nice posh neighborhood called Riverdale, which is in the Bronx. Um, (laughs) It was was once in Manhattan. So they kept the name, you know, they kept the name. So we, uh, my parents and I jumped in the car and within 35 minutes, I was standing on the campus of Manhattan College. And I said to my parents, like, Yeah, this will work for me. I can get on the subway right there. And so, yeah, so I went to Manhattan and I had a communications major, but they didn't really have a TV program going yet. Uh, They were kind of in the beginning of doing that. And when I saw their TV studio... I actually kind of smirked like, you know, John Randall had a better setup for us. We had better gear at the high school. So, and I, you know, so I was like, Manhattan College kind of just fit the bill there for me because it was like, oh, I can get a communications major. And at the time, everybody was getting communications degrees, to be honest. It was a really great school. It's a private school. It has a really good alumni. And then I was able to go right down to Miramax and continue my internship. So it uh it really yeah, it worked out great. And then also I was close enough to home that my parents could still like touch
0: base with me. Yeah. I could touch base with them. Yeah, that's great, man. That's that's really cool. So so you 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 learned T V in high school you went to college for it. You had the Miramax internship. How did you end up at Fox News and then eventually with Glenn Beck?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, part of uh, Manhattan College's curriculum, you know, for a communications major, was you had to have a, a, an accredited internship. And Miramax uh, was not essentially on the roster of Manhattan College at the time for having accredited internships. Eventually, after two years of interning at Miramax and I even worked there a little bit freelance, like during my sophomore year, uh, it became too much, and we I cut ties and I focused more on schoolwork. In my senior year, I knew I had to get an internship. You know there was a career department at Manhattan College that would basically look at what you've done you know in the last three, four years that you were at school, and they would line you up with an, uh, with an interview. And uh, as luck would have it, I end up interviewing for an internship on the O'Reilly factor with Bill O'Reilly. And, uh, I had to be honest, I didn't even know who he was at the time when I was doing this interview (laughs) and in my head, name in town, name in town, name in town. Yeah. Yeah. in, In my head, I was like, you know, I just, I just need this internship so I can get, This very expensive piece of paper my parents have been paying for, you know, so uh, I can I can move on and like do my next thing from there. So I just really need this internship. But that same good work ethic that my dad taught me, you know, like be nice, be kind to everybody. uh, They offered me an internship to work on the O'Reilly factor where I worked side by side with a man named Jesse Waters. Who, oh, is,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, who his career has kind of gone in a different direction than mine. Uh-huh. But yeah, he he at the time was an associate producer and essentially took me under his wing. I was fortunate that I I had this interview on the O'Reilly factor and I basically I started interning there. Uh Doing the same kind of things almost that I was doing at Miramax, but instead it was for a show. So it was like, you got to run this tape up to the control room, run this tape to playback. This person needs this. And honestly, that television class I had in high school, John Randall's class. Everything he taught me there was the same exact terminology that they were using. So there was another intern on the show who I could tell I kind of had a step ahead of him because I was explaining to him like, you know, this is a newsroom service. This is where they're looking at, you know, the essentially the rundown of the show and how you could follow what's going to happen step by step in the show. Uh And he didn't understand those kind of things. So that what would happen I eventually hit my 100-hour mark or something that was necessary to, to suffice for the requirement of the internship. And I was like, you know what? like, um, I wanted to just get my internship over with and get back to school to focus on my thesis and enjoy the rest of my summer, more or less, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So when I told them, listen, I'm, I've hit my number. I've hit like the amount of hours I have. I was just going to give you guys like a two-weeks notice and let you know I really appreciate all the time here. I want to go back to school, focus on my thesis. They said, oh, actually, it's great that you're here. We were thinking, you know, Geraldo Rivera has this brand new show, and we were hoping that you would be interested in becoming a production assistant on it. Hmm. And so it was like, yeah, but, you know, I still have to finish college. Like, And they're like, oh, yeah, that's no problem. You can work nights and weekends. So the last uh, three months of that spring semester, I was working like... Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And like I had class on, you know, like Monday to Wednesday uh, essentially. And uh, I worked and then I worked there as a freelancer on Geraldo's show. And then when I graduated, I came in and I said, listen, I, I I have to, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I'm walking for my, my college graduation. And they're like, Oh, that's great. Well, if you're a graduate now, you can be a staff employee here. (laughs) So then I became a staff employee on the Geraldo Rivera show at large, which was syndicated. It replaced a current affair. And again, back to John Randall being a great teacher, he taught us how to use these tape to tape uh, edit reel systems that are made by a company called Taskum. And it would turn out that Fox News in their edit bay had the same exact decks and the same exact gear. Ah, Oh, great. So one day, you know, like my job as the P.A. was I had to work with an editor who would put together the B-roll clips and the sound bites that we would bring to playback to play out for the show. So one day the editor was running late and I sat down in front of the gear and I started cutting a sound bite. But the vice president of the edit department came in and he's like, what are you doing touching the equipment? And I explained to him, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm on a deadline. You know, I actually know how to use the gear. Uh, so I thought to keep the show on on pace, I would just cut a couple tapes until I waited for the real editor to get here. So he kind of was like, huh. And he realized what I was doing. Like he watched the tape that I cut. And he was like, yeah, this is you did this correctly. Okay. And then, as luck would have it, two months later uh I mean, lucky for me, but not so much for Geraldo, the show was cancelled and uh th- that same individual, Ken Schwab, good guy, he offered me a job to work in the edit department, and he even gave me a considerable like fifty percent an hour raise, which was great for a young guy at my time. I was like, "Oh wow, yeah." Um, because, you know, we make such millions and millions of dollars. Millions. Working We're actually in rolling
0: in it. In fact, I don't know about you, but on this end... Um, I have just padding a chair that I'm sitting in. It's a little bit, uh, a <laughs> little bit uncomfortable. I just have wads of cash that I'm using as stuffing inside this chair. Completely anyway, get it. Yeah. Is that Completely what, what you've got? The setup on your end is like. It. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I
1: like to use two dollar bills. They just smell better. So oh, stacks see. of two two dollar bills. This okay. way too. You know, I can write notes on them to hand them to people too. <laughs> <All right>. so <laughs> yeah. So then uh, I would be fortunate that I would end up meeting tiffany uh solomon when glenn launched the 912 project and i cut the show open for his show on fox news for that and tiffany loved the way i cut it that she said you know we have some more work uh that we do like uh at mercury radio arts with glenn i think you would be a great fit for us if you want to come by and just start doing some freelance work
0: okay. so then i would
1: i would swing by and shoot he had a he had uh a, a, a a podcast or a vlog with uh Goldline and I used to shoot his stand up and then basically take the video home, edit it and post it on the website for him and then after doing that for four months they said, Why don't you just come work for us full time? So I love that's it. The, yeah, the the long story I guess to a short road.
0: <laughs> and that's and that's where you and I uh cross paths. Yep. I will yep. say that you and I used to on occasion we'd walk uh to lunch there in the city before having to come back. Oh park uh, Italian. And, yeah. Yeah. So so I, I, you just got to imagine this, okay? Here's here's the odd couple. You've got uh, Dom Salvatore, uh, <laughs> born and bred up there in New Jersey, uh, very familiar with New York City, and um, and and the deli situation up there. Um, and then you've got this Southern boy, Keith Malinak, who. Um, couldn't find his way around my neighborhood here in Texas, much less uh, the city streets of Manhattan. So you and I would go to lunch at at this deli and you would be speaking, it's almost like a different language, you know? Right, y- you'd be right. talking to the guy behind the counter and I was just like, yeah, um, tell him I want this. Yeah, yeah, I want, get some I want looks that with the and lot, uh, Yeah, and and by the way, Dom, you'll be proud to know that to this day I put mozzarella on my sandwiches and get those little uh, mozzarella balls uh, all Atta because boy. of uh, Dom boy. Salvatore. I think of you all the time whenever I buy <laughs> mozzarella at, at the store. So I'm I'm not kidding. That's not a lie. So uh, because it's not, I don't want to say I was intimidated in these settings, but it's just like a club. Where I don't know the language, I don't know the rules. It's like going into a Starbucks. I don't know how to order a coffee there. I just say, "Yeah, I want whatever this thing is here." And so you kind of, <laughs> yeah. you were kind of my go-between between me and whoever was, you know, behind the counter. Uh, uh, say, "All right, what do you have? What do you want? What do you want?" You know, anyway, so uh, so I appreciate right. you and uh, your time there. It was a good time uh, going to get lunch with with you. Um, Always, man. Growing up in the city, and and or at least in in that area of New York City are you glad that you grew up in that setting or as you eventually would move to Texas to work for Glenn here where I'm based, I get the impression that you in Texas were a fish out of water because you were here for a very short time before you said, you know what? We're moving back.
1: We were there for 20 months. It was exactly 20 months. And, uh, You know, my my wife and I had only been married for six months when I was like, hey, listen, we have to pack our stuff up and move. And she comes from an extremely tight Jersey Italian family like they have you know, they have the the Jersey accent to the nine and everything. And so that was and and she also went to school in New York City. So she was always close to home. So the idea of moving was a little dramatic but i i mean i found it exciting i really do love texas and i would love to retire there the people were extremely friendly uh but you know at the time maybe a little bit of this too was so when we moved to texas well let me answer your first part of that question like growing up in new york city i think it made me a lot more aware of like uh basically there's lots of different people that look different, but trust me, the people that you think look friendly are not friendly. And the people Mm -hmm. that look different might be the best guy you've ever met. You know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, that it, it opened my eyes to like really like this is the true melting pot of America. And everyone here is trying to strive to do the same purpose with provide a better life for themselves and their families. So when we, we moved to Texas in January of 2012, and uh an unfortunate thing would happen in March of 2012. My best friend Nate passed away unexpectedly. He was 28 years old. And so that was like a real uh punch to the stomach. Just absolutely amazing guy to the point that we named our son after him. Oh. So uh that that honestly was a real uh gut check for me because then I was like, man, I am now I'm now in Texas. My wife and I have each other of course, but everybody that I'm talking to here about this grieving I'm going through doesn't know who this man is that I was talking about, you know? So it made it, it made it harder for us to, I almost want to say assimilate into Dallas, especially in that first year. That first year was really hard because I was just grieving my friend constantly, but everybody there, you know, was supportive. uh, Of course, yourself included and all the other people from Mercury and uh, you know, eventually Uh, It it came apparent to us at our age that we really wanted to be around friends and family that uh, also that first year that we were in Texas in 12 months, we went to something like 14 weddings back in New Jersey. So it was like, so it was like, it just felt oh my God, man, it felt like every three weeks we were getting on a plane to go to a wedding and it was like a wedding you had to go to because like my wife, my wife or I were in the wedding. It wasn't like, you know, that distant second cousin of yours is getting married. It was, no, this is your brother, like my wife's brother or something, you know, was getting married. So we, we always had to to come back and then it was hitting us like, you know, Texas is great, but uh, our friends and family aren't there. Now, you know so and I had made a promise to my wife too that I said listen you just you got to give me 2 years we move down there we'll see how it goes you give me 2 years and if we don't like it I'll just I'll tell Glenn and company that listen I I have to go home so I'm going to have to give you my notice my wife and I are moving back I had expressed interest because it, the notion came up in the office that we were going to expand and open another office in Washington, D.C. Um, and luckily, that's what would happen. 20 months after living in Dallas, uh, you know, Eric and Glenn and company offered me the opportunity to go to the small studio that we split with FreedomWorks. And um, hmm.
0: that was great. And then eventually you end up working for CBS News, where you are currently right uh, up there. Yes. In New York. You're back in New York.
1: Yeah, so I've been at CBS News now since uh, August of 2014, Uh, so it'll be eight years and basically a month. I would get a phone call from a a really great guy named Phil Selby, who said, listen, I have your resume here in our system, and we've got this new thing going on. I would just love to talk to you. Um, And now at this time, though, he was looking at a resume that was a year old, and I was working in D.C., so he was like, you know, is it going to take? How? When's the soonest you could get up here? And I said, oh, I could be there tomorrow. Like, you know, I'll, I'll show up tomorrow. So I might have woken up with a scratchy throat that morning and a little bit of a fever, and I had to call out sick from work at at the DC office. And <laughs> uh, between you and I, uh, you know, and uh, I I knew that there was an opportunity waiting in New York, and I drove up. Uh, and I I drove up and I I had no idea what the job was or what he really wanted to talk to me about, but I knew look there's a possibility here of something. So I showed up uh, wearing a suit and tie, and I could tell that I was way overdressed, but it's better oh, to no. be over it.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, this, be- is, this is
1: broadcasting. You know better than that. I do, I do, but you know you don't get a second chance at a first yeah. impression, right? Yep. So. Yep. Phil and I end up like just chit chatting for I want to say at least a solid hour, maybe more. And he starts explaining how listen we're we're breaking CBS News. You know is a household name. It's been a legacy in the industry for years, but it it doesn't compete with 24 hour networks like Fox News, CNN because there at the time there was no 24 hour platform. And he said it's it says here that with your experience, you know you were involved in building a 24 hour network for Glenn Beck, and we think you'd probably be a good fit to become an operations manager here. So, and at the mm-hmm. time they didn't even know exactly what they were going to call the stream. Um, when they hired me, they were still like, you know, title still to be determined of what we're going to call this new product. And it would become
0: uh, known as CBSN. Um, right. And by the way, sorry to interrupt you there, but uh, I use this service on Roku all the time. Oh, like if there's something you. going on in the news, and I started using this before I knew that you were working there. Like, <laughs> like, like when you had left, I didn't know that you were doing that specific thing, CBSN. But I found it so useful. If there is something going on in the world, and I just want to cut to the chase and get right to it. Well, thank um, you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll just open. I. I specifically have opened up that app on roku and just looked for the latest video on that topic and And
1: there it is it's great i mean honestly uh i think we were we were definitely look the blaze was the originator though i'll be honest or you know glenn beck's insider extreme which became Mm -hmm. gbtv which then became the blaze they were really the first ott news network i want to say that was that was like driven made strictly just for the internet first and then with cbsn at the time like they were trying to compete broad, on the broadcast side with fox news but if you looked back in 2014 like with fox news and cnn and msnbc they had streaming services, but all they were doing was taking the product they made the day prior, like the O'Reilly Factor or something, and they would put that up into their Roku apps for you to watch segments. But it was never like, this is a purely 24-hour news stream that you can continue to watch. And that's what we created with CBSN. And you know, since then, I, w- I was brought on as a technical operations manager. So I was managing a staff of about 25 guys that did audio. Uh, they were directors that were operating automation systems for the camera switching and, and graphic playouts, as well as some stagehands that I managed. So I was doing I was doing that along with small video engineering projects to keep the show afloat uh, and to tech manage as well in the control room during live shows. So I, I had my hands in a lot of different things from the beginning with the staff and the technical build out. And then about four years ago, they offered me a promotion to now... I've moved away from the people operation side and I strictly manage gear and technology for CBS News as a whole, uh, underneath the Paramount umbrella. Wow, good for so you! So it's man. it's thank you, thank you. It's been, and I still work for Phil, and he's an absolute great guy. Oh, and, that's cool. To be honest, he's probably the reason that I have no ambition to leave CBS News because uh, it's just you know when you find somebody that's a delight to work for, it's
0: that's it's, that's good know, to it's hear. Hard. Yeah, that's good to hear, and I can see why you would still work for the same boss after all this time because when you and I work together, I remark to more than one person Person that the hardest working guy here at the Blaze is Dominic, and I completely I don't know if I agree with you. But. Well, whatever, man. You, I've seen you put in really long hours. You were very instrumental in getting the first um, iteration of GBTV, and then Insider Extreme. Right, that I was like,
1: yeah, Insider Extreme. I think was really the 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 brainchild well at the time Glenn was doing he had that single camera feed that would go to yep. a real real player in the website and people were paying I think two ninety nine a month to watch him do his radio show through that but it was just this like uh, SD camera that was a square you know the video put out was a square it was used for, like um, and he said look I want to upgrade this and I, and I think that <laughs> it was, was ser- also
0: it was so yeah. rudimentary, Dom. It was in oh, a room. Um, it, okay, we worked on the 34th floor. Yep. Right. Yep, yeah, okay. Yep. And and it was this long hallway and so so basically let me paint the picture for folks. <laughs> yeah, uh, please. On this one hallway <laughs> there was uh, like this this room that was almost like glorified storage. And then there, then there was Glenn studio and it of course was on the same uh, HVAC unit as my phone screen room uh, and you know he would freeze me out every day because for whatever reason they had the same yeah, he, uh, he always vent. wanted to hang me and in, in I, I seriously I, I, <laughs> yeah. and I tell people this and they don't believe it I would no. wear a coat in the studio it didn't matter the time of year I would wear a coat in the studio I would keep a glove on my <laughs> left hand yep. I would edit the the weekend show and promos that we would send out to all the radio affiliates with my right hand, this is this is when the show wasn't going on and I wasn't screening calls. This is the stuff that Dom and I would, would do the radio stuff, go eat lunch, come back, and, and eventually it was the fourth hour, Pat and Stew and yeah, so on. But then yeah. I would have to edit all this stuff in this, like you said, a meat locker, and I was in this <laughs> winter coat, glove on my left hand, edit with my right hand, and I kid you not... Right next to my mouse, there was a candle that I would I would I would edit as much as I could stand, and then I would hold my hand over the candle um, uh, right until it would burn, <laughs> and then I would go back to editing, and then I would switch off, you know, and and, and hover over the candle and, and heat up my hand until it would almost burn, and then back to editing. It was ridiculous, yep. but anyway. And then the yep. next room down was your office where you. Um, would 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 run the the video yeah, stuff that, and that was then a lot of fun, right? Yeah. And you and you got to design that room all the way you wanted, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and get yeah, all I was set lucky. up because- you were was, proud of it, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was. Re- I, I mean, honestly, Glenn, uh, it was a great opportunity to come work for you guys. Yeah. And, and and especially, again, on like another on a startup, you know, where it was like, oh, wow, we're building right. this from the right. ground up. So there's there's <laughs> no rules. And and Glenn also had really great engineers working with him. John Creeley. John Creeley. Uh, yeah. Great engineer, man. And so we we installed six cameras that were robotic. Uh, So I was sitting in front of uh, a joystick that looks no different than something from an arcade uh, where I was able to control six different cameras and I was punching the cameras on what was called a TriCaster. And uh-huh. so I I just remember the array of monitors that we built was right. was beautiful because it was like over here is where I see the cameras here's where I cut the cameras and on my right hand side is where I can see the stream is going out and it's live and I'm also capturing it directly into edit for post productions so it was, it was and if yeah, I'm was,
0: not mistaken because on more than one occasion I was tasked like if you were swamped or we were running late or whatever I had to run down and. Pumps the uh, cameras, the yeah. room behind your room was more like a an engineering type room, and like you had to go and manually start uh, the feed. The stream yeah. the, stream, the <laughs> stream out to people. <laughs> I mean, that was I mean, that's old school stuff going on there. And you mentioned John Creeley, and I'm so glad you did. That man's responsible for me getting to Texas because, like you said, January of twenty twelve, Glenn moved his operations here. You joined him. Yep. And My family moved here April of 2012 into Dallas, and I didn't get here until July, I believe, 20th, 2012. The reason it was such a delay is because they hadn't built out the call screening um, center because the numbers, when people would call the radio show, they were still calling New York, even though Glenn was in Dallas, and the technology just wasn't caught up to get everything moved to Dallas for whatever reason, and John Creeley... Rig took it upon himself to rig this setup that enabled me to finally get to Dallas. And I'll spare all the technical details, but he explained it to me. And it John Creeley's a genius. Can we agree on that? Yeah, absolutely. A no, really uh, smart guy. Okay, so 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 you um obviously uh, we've gone over your professional jobs um during college and since um, with Fox News, Glenn Beck, now CBS News. I've got to touch on two jobs that you have had uh, when you were younger because New Jersey is so unique in that. <laughs> I know where this You're is not, going. Yeah, yeah, and and it. I'm I gonna say there were a lot of things that that this uh, southern boy didn't appreciate about New Jersey, and one of them was the fact that people at gas stations, gas station attendants, didn't want me to pump my own gas, and yep. that was your <laughs> job, right? It was after freshman year of college, uh, that
1: summer you know break you have before your next fall semester. I had uh, I had been dating the same girl uh, my senior year of high school and the first year of college. Uh, she actually lived a half hour from me though in another town, and we broke up. And I thought, you know, maybe uh, maybe I should get a job in her town so that I'm like I'm around and we can try spending time together to get this to fix or work, you know. So I I happen to be like. My cousins also lived in this town, so I might have been one. I was over there and I had to pull over and get gas, and the guy and I, the, the, the gas station owner and I, just start striking up a conversation. So and he was like, you know, if you want, I need a new attendant. If you're looking for summer money, and I was like, yeah, sure, that would be great. But so my parents were like, are you really gonna drive 30 minutes to go make like seven dollars an hour? uh, at a gas station in another town. Like you could just make that money here and not waste a quarter of a tank of gas to get there or something, you know? And I was like, Oh no, it's all right. I got a plan. Uh, my plan did not work out at all. Uh, you know, that relationship was definitely (laughs) over and it's okay. It ended mutually. It was fine. Um, and, uh, also I one night would forget to turn off the pumps and I was supposed to open the station the next day. And, uh, So I showed up to work two hours late uh, because being a young man, uh, we might have spent some time up late and uh, drinking adult (laughs) beverages. So I end up oversleeping and I'm supposed to be there to open the station. And the owner of the place called me and he's like, you know there's another gas station across the street and I'm friends with the owner there. Who's telling me right now that none of the lights are on and there's people walking up, just pumping their own gas and leaving what's going on. And I was like, Oh yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And he's like, uh, okay, when you get here, we're going to talk. So he beats me there. And he's like, listen, uh, I lost like $240 worth of gas today. It was something like that, you know? And, and he was like, the way I see it, I don't really think this is, uh, like, you know, acceptable. And I, and I I agreed with him. I'm like, you're, you're totally right. I forgot to shut off the pumps last night. And you know what, with this and what this other thing that I didn't mention to him, I'm like, you know, maybe it's just best we go our separate ways and you can just keep the week's pay that you owe me. And he was like, well, no, we'll, we'll be fair. I, I, there's some money left on your paycheck. And I was like, okay, all right. And he goes, so here, let me count it out for you. It was $7. He gave me $7 and he's like, now we're even, you paid for all the gas that I lost. And I was like, all right, fair enough.
0: Oh and my like, goodness! Now and, I, and then the I was day. like, I
1: was like, "Can I get five regular now?" Because I got to get home. <laughs>
0: oh, you know, you know, if that were today, that two hundred and forty dollars worth of gas would have probably been over two grand, and I the word gas- would have spread <laughs> on social media, and, and people have been lined up trying to get the free gas. So, okay, you're married to Jackie, who you describe yes. as having the biggest impact on your
1: life. Oh, well, I mean, uh, so funny story. You know, um, we met. Uh, about five years after graduating college at that, everybody has that like Wednesday night party before Thanksgiving you go to. And this was at a friend of a friend's house. And I saw her across the room and I knew who Jackie was in high school. She's two years younger than me, but she was an amazing athlete, uh, like four years varsity soccer. Uh, She had a full ride to play for the university of Hofstra. So she had a very, you know, class a reputation, you could say. And she was, obviously gorgeous and uh so when i went up to try to talk to her i was i i didn't even know how to say hello which was very unlike me uh, you know i'm normally can jump into a conversation with anybody about anything and i mumbled over a bunch of words like i think i know you but we went to high school together i'll see you later and i left <laughs> and uh in my head, I was like, man, I really blew that one. And I and I, I distinctly remember her from high school, too, and me, in a way, having a crush on her that I was like, wow, that girl's really pretty. But you know, you're in high school and you're a senior. You can't like talk to sophomores. It might be weird and awkward. But yeah, so as luck would have it, and thanks to today's technology, about four days later, she sent me a Facebook friend request. So I was like, this is great. I didn't completely embarrass myself, right? So we would uh, start exchanging messages on Facebook, like the typical... Like, like, so how's it going? You know, what's your day like? Where do you work? And then that would eventually just lead to us uh, dating. And I knew after three months of dating her that I was like, I, I absolutely have to marry this girl. She's amazing.
0: It's so cool.
1: Uh, you know, just has the same, the same family values, understands. Uh, me as a person in that short amount of time. And uh, so after three months, I knew I had to start putting together all the coins I could find under the couch. And at eight months, I proposed and Luckily for me, she said yes, and it's now been 11 years and two kids later. Oh, great. But yeah, she keeps me completely grounded and comp- you know helps me see the the writing on the walls of what we have to do uh, to be better people. And, and being a better person is, I can tell me just being with her makes me a better person because I want to do more for her and our kids. Uh, and without them, I don't feel like uh, I would be much of anything, to be honest.
0: Okay, so... Your son's almost five. Uh, your Actually, daughter. It my son. It, it, it's so
1: funny, man, that we've been trying to get this thing going for two years. This happens every time. This happens right. every time
0: where there's something outdated <laughs> in the email. I love it. Here's, okay, so let me start over. Your son is five. Your daughter is gonna you know, be. My son. My son is gonna, Here you want my. So my son turned seven in September. Wait and, a minute. Uh, hold on a second. No way did you fill. No. No. Hold on. Did I no, screw sir.
1: it up? Did I screw up when I Absolutely. answered? Absolutely. I have not had
0: this email my possession for two years bro i haven't even been doing this podcast barely that long no nice try you don't know how old your kids are why don't you tell us
1: now you have me second guessing myself no okay, yeah wait, my wait. son is turning seven he was born in the year 2015 my son well, turns well, seven uh on september 17th of 2022 he will be seven okay. years old
0: I assure you, I have not had your answers in my possession for two years. So, um, uh, work on work on. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. There's no chance. Although now, okay, you know what? Forget this. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up. Let me just see. <laughs> I'm I'm actually I'm looking up. I want to see when you actually answer these questions and just to okay, see I'm gonna, because I'm now do the I gotta same. know because because you talk about time flying, Tom. If 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 I have had your answers this long 2020 then... yeah you sent them to me uh,
1: I have it as Wednesday July 22nd 2020 I wrote I'll answer these questions now you want me to forward oh, you the email oh my
0: gosh no I see <laughs> it on my hand I it's, cannot it's, I believe... can't even believe it. it's been yeah wow on, that is unbelievable this right here this experience with us in, in, in realizing how long it's been over two years now That I have had these answers in my possession. What that illustrates to me is, A, we don't stay in touch enough, but B, well, B, how busy we are uh, in scheduling uh, our lives, but C, what this shows me is that, my goodness, time absolutely flies, man. It's crazy, right? It just vanishes. It vanishes, And, and before you know it, your kids will be out on their own, and... And, no. And, right, oh, <laughs> yeah. So when you and I met in 2009, I had a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. Today, I have a 19-year-old who lives in another state. I have a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old. I mean, so is the and time those ago? are the
1: same kids, right? You didn't like trade them in for
0: other kids? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> trade them in. I didn't trade them in. Okay, so so hold on, real quick, real quick. I want I want to touch on. I moved past the jobs too quickly. Real quick, tell us about – this doesn't sound like it it, it went so well. You were a landscaper for a week. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I don't guess that was fun.
1: So uh, I used to also work during – when I was in high school, I worked a lot at a deli, actually. Um, And you know, you work at a deli. You start meeting people who are constantly coming in like at the same time every day. And there was one guy there who was super nice, and he owned a landscaping business. And I was like, uh, you know, I wrestled in high school, so I always liked staying in shape. And uh, I was uh, straight up, honestly, I was getting fat working at a deli because I was just eating all day. (laughs) Right. So I was like, I was like, I need to do a job that has more physical activity than standing in front of a grill making bacon, egg and cheeses. And so uh, I asked him, like, hey, do you think like, you know, I could uh, I could maybe try coming to work for you? Uh, And he was like, yeah, no, absolutely. No problem. And the money was maybe like a dollar more an hour. Then I was making that to Delhi and I was like, all right, let's give it a shot. And, uh, it was, he put me on the team to do the, the labor of building paver patios. And, um, none of the guys spoke English. So there was always a disconnect on exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And, uh, (laughs) And and so that like the first couple of days he was like, all right, I don't think, you know, as much Spanish as I thought you knew, because I would like say hello to his workers in Spanish. And that was about where the road ended. And uh, and I was like, yeah, no, sorry. And he was like, all right, so why don't you come with like the maintenance team? And I said, all right, sure. So the maintenance team, they're the guys who just cut your lawn and trim the ed- edges and everything for you. And they could go house to house and you have to do a whole house within like 15 minutes so he can make his money. And uh, I remember they handed me this weed whacker. And I like my, you know, your job is to go around the perimeter and like, I'm just not paying attention with the weed whacker. And as I'm walking all of a sudden, I don't even realize that it's on. And I just like weed whacked the whole side of this guy's house where it just left like all these cuts in the aluminum siding, <laughs> like no. just, tore, just tore right that's through it. That's something
0: I would do, Dom. And, and I was I like, uh,
1: do. yeah, it's like, uh, Hey guys, do we have any glue or anything? You know, like, oh, <laughs> and they were like, no. yeah, I don't I don't think this is going to work out and I was like yeah you know I don't I don't think so either I'm just going to go right back to the deli and so that oh was the gosh. one week I worked as a landscaper oh it's funny now I love like you know, did they owe you landscape. seven
0: bucks did they owe no, you seven no. bucks when you were done
1: no oh I think I owed goodness. him probably 700 after damaging that guy's house
0: but I'm serious man I bet <laughs> okay so I mean again that that is absolutely something I would have done I want to ask you about Unilever Cosmetics it was another job you had you were in the research and development department R&D uh, how was that man
1: that was really one of the coolest jobs I had I was about uh, 20 years old I was a sophomore in college and uh it's the same thing. It was that summer in between semesters and my parents met some people through friends of theirs and this gentleman George, he was uh the vice president of the R and D department and um my dad tells him, like, you know, my son just recently finished working at Miramax. He just needs a summer job now. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, you know, yeah. uh, does he know how to type? And my dad was like, yeah, no, he, he knows how to use a computer. He's really good with that kind of stuff. And he goes, all right, great. I think I have a job for him. And they were going to pay me. They, well, they did pay me. They paid me $20 an hour, which was like huge money for a kid back then, you mm-hmm. know, like to imagine making in the summer. Uh, And they were like, listen, we we want you to take they had all these three ring binders of the formulas on how they would make like Calvin Klein's cologne and Vera Wang products and uh, all of their cosmetic lineup, essentially, like their deodorants and that kind of stuff. Wow. So all of those formulas, though, were only written in hard copies in these three ring binders. And they were like, we need to digitize all of these three ring binders. Uh, we predict this will probably take you all summer to do. And I was like, yes, you know, no problem at all. I'm happy to do that. And so I would come in and I would sit down and just bang out these formulas into this database system they had purchased. Excuse me. And I would bang out these formulas into the database system. And as luck would have it, because I was a quick typer, I finished all of the binders in only one week. And uh, George was like, you know, I, I actually thought this would take you all summer to do. So he said, <laughs> why don't you just come work in the lab with us and just act as an assistant, you know, so when the guys need help, anything, anything you can help with, just please make yourself usable. So like absolutely no problem. So there were some really great engineers and scientists there. I mean, these were people that graduated with biology degrees and chemistry degrees. And I was like, well, I'm a communications major. Um <laughs> but we would make, uh, like again, like Vera Wang deodorant. Uh, we would make uh, all of the Unilever products that were essentially sold in Sephora if you would. And yeah. big, a big part of that was, you know, like, hey, we're going to leave this cologne in the window for a week. And then every week you would come back and check its color and viscosity. And then you'd have to write up a report to say, like, you know, well, using propylene glycol uh, in this combination, we found that it, it would melt if it was left in a room above 80 degrees. You know, maybe we should oh, increase wow. the amount. And it, became, it was just a really cool job because you were hands on in the development of these products that I would then see advertised later, like six months, like coming out now, you know, noise, cool. Like, yeah. And so, um, And it also had great perks because then like all of these products are dramatically price increased, but there was an employee store. So like a can of Axe deodorant, which is like $7. I would buy, I would be able to buy for 50 cents, you know? So it was just (laughs) like, oh wow. Everybody's getting Varouang cologne, you know, for Christmas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome, man. Very cool. Okay. So let's see here. Um, I want you to give me three bands. Three because bands, I need some okay. new, I need some new music. Because you list alternative rock and roll as your uh, yep. favorite music genre, give me give me three names to scribble down. I can check out on Spotify later.
1: Uh, I've been listening to this group, the Arkells, spelled A R K E L L S, a lot okay. lately. Lately, they're a Canadian okay. band. I Very also good. have a little bit of a reggae side that I really like., uh, there's
0: a now you can skip that one. You can skip that. Skip that Jaya. The Cat? I mean, you can you okay. can skip that one as uh, one of the three uh, recommendations I need, but go ahead and tell me what it is that you're enjoying. <laughs> Jaya
1: the Cat. Uh, I've been listening to them for well over ten plus years now, I think. All right. J A Y A the cat, Jaya the cat. I'm not. I'm not writing it down, Tom. <laughs> uh, what else you got?
0: What else you got, man? Not reggae. A third.
1: Oh, uh, absolute favorite would be the Gaslight Anthem. They are uh, a native Jersey band. Um, they are huge now. The Gaslight Anthem. Uh, okay. The, multiple albums, and they have a wide range of music that is just uh, extremely heartfelt and
0: perfect. I highly, highly recommend them. Okay, and anybody else here for that list? Let's see. Uh, remember, I didn't write down Jaya the cat. Well, that's really a
1: shame. I, don't, I was supposed to go <laughs> see uh, Third Eye Blind, but you know who they are. Yeah, but that's I, cool. That's they... cool. All right.
0: Yeah, man, that's cool. <laughs> um, okay. Of all your answers, dude, this is the one that I, makes me mad. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh-oh. I ask the question: Any interesting talents you have? I can pretty much fall asleep anywhere. Man, I can't yep. stand you now. I don't like you now. <laughs> I don't like you. I can't fall asleep in a bed, bro. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: I I can I, I can oddly fall asleep just by shutting my eyes, and even like I can still remain sitting upright, and I feel myself fall asleep. Um, okay, get were,
0: off. Yeah, were, we're, this this interview over. All, all right, right. I, I can't take it. I'm not. We're done here. <laughs> Um thankfully, it has never happened while driving. That's good, that's good. Of course, you don't really want to fall asleep on public transportation in New York. Be careful
1: uh, I could tell you that that has happened though uh, yeah. once in Manhattan at Manhattan College, a big part of Manhattan College was like going to other colleges in New York City uh, to mm. go to their parties. So we knew some kids at Columbia University, which is like at 125th Street. So we went down there. Uh, spent a, a night, you know, partying and it's like, all right, I could either get a cab, which is going to cost $45, which is like a million bucks when you're in college, or mm-hmm. I can spend $2 and get on the subway, but it's going to take 40 minutes to get me home. And I'm like, all right, I'll take the subway. Uh, I got on that subway. I want to say at about two-thirty in the morning. And I woke up at 8am and I was at the completely South end of Manhattan and the train was traveling South. So that told me it went all the way North all the way south, all the way north. And then that's when I woke up when I was like, Wow, now I am like Don't 10 they miles. go through the
0: <laughs> trains at the at the last stop and, and... Nope, nope, no. they don't.
1: It gets to the oh. last stop and they say, you know, next stop is basically where they came from oh my goodness bounce back and forth like pong on the arcade that is oh my gosh (laughs) and somehow i my shoes were still on my feet and my wallet was still (laughs) in my pocket
0: (laughs) uh, yeah so are you a deep sleeper then like you can fall asleep easily so you must be Uh, okay well i I doubly can't stand you now (laughs) Um, okay your earliest memory i think a lot of people our age can identify with This moment in time when the Challenger space shuttle disaster happened, uh, 1986, you were three years old. Wow. I remember being home from school. Yeah. It was a teacher work day. I was watching Price is Right. Dan Rather comes on and and breaks in. I think I must have been 10, uh, right around there. Uh, nine. Nine. Let's see. Yeah, so I must have been about nine years old and- My goodness, that that is a memory you don't forget, Uh, and that was your earliest, huh? Oh,
1: I want to say that that was that's my earliest news story memory. Okay, and then uh, probably from there. So you know, again, I was only like three and change when that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and I and and to be honest, like I don't know if I remember it. Like, like maybe the moment that I saw it was it could have very well been when I was four and a half, and they were like, you know, oh, this time last year this happened.
0: Okay, like, you, you know, just that, remember those images. Yeah, I remember those images
1: from be, like when I was extremely young. That this this was a thing that happened that made the world very much change, mm-hmm. um, and I think a big part of that also was because there was a school teacher who was on the trip, right? You know, then so that yeah. it was it was Christa heavily discussed. Yeah, yeah, it was heavily discussed in schools afterwards. Uh, right, and maybe that's where it was. So it might it, I might not have truly been three, but the way our memory mm-hmm. kind of sets in. I yep. feel like that was my biggest news story. And then okay. probably the next one would have been like the Lorena and John Bobbitt thing because that was just strange.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. You never know what you're going to get on at the mic. We go from a, uh, a national tragedy to, uh, to one man's very, very intimate tragedy. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, another question here is your most embarrassing moment. Now, again, as we've recently learned, uh, during this conversation over two years have passed. So I'm, I'm hoping that, that, that this experience hasn't been, uh, you know, superseded by something else in your life, uh, in the last couple of years, but, um, you were once driving a classic car Uh, back in your, back, back in your twenties. Yep. It was a 73 Chevy Caprice convertible, pulling up to a light past a cute girl on the left-hand side, um, continue the story from there Yes, yeah, so uh, I had I
1: was fortunate that I was able to get a 73 Chevy Caprice convertible which is a huge huge boat of a car it's about 20 or 21 <laughs> feet long uh, and I was able to buy it with basically my communion money and uh <laughs> You know and it was great if you've ever seen fear and loathing in las vegas that was the car that they're driving around that convertible that's the same car and uh yeah i'm pulling up to this light and there just happened to be something distracting that was easy on the eyes for me to look at (laughs) uh you know and uh i might not have been paying attention that the light had changed and the car in front of me decided to stop way early on the yellow and uh The huge tank of an automobile that the Chevy Caprice was just plowed into the back of this woman's car and completely, uh, like destroyed her bumper. And, you know, we get out, she gets out of the car and I'm, I'm apologizing to high heaven. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And, uh, all I could think about was like, uh, there's only one person who knows how this accident happened. And, uh, She's smiling and laughing
0: as she walks away. Hold, Hold on a second. She's smiling and she's laughing as she walks away. So my question is, did she not stick around as a witness to the accident oh, and of no. course you'd have to exchange phone numbers and stuff like no. that no that's no not a... i think
1: i think she was like well now his car's broken so what am i oh in
0: bro <laughs> no i'm sorry to hear that i do love your um like your bucket list which is to see every major league baseball stadium yeah yeah i have to ask you though it's been a struggle when a team changes stadiums do you have to add that one or are you just trying to go to each city You see what i'm saying uh yeah that's a good question um i guess you know that'd be a hard thing to
1: fulfill um because i even have that with the yankees you know the yankees yeah right? I, I started in one it's like whack-a-mole of, you'd be keep yeah. trying to play catch-up you know and the mets too like i i've been to shea mm-hmm. stadium and then i've been to city field um so, yeah, it is almost like whack-a-mole. I haven't, uh, obviously, when we sent this to you two years, two years ago, I haven't had a chance, and especially baseball has been crazy. Yeah. Um, I haven't had a chance to see any new cities, and it's, the you know, obviously having two kids uh, in the last seven years has uh, kind of put a hindrance on that, but, yeah.
0: Did you get to a Rangers game when you lived in Texas? yeah. Yeah, at Arlington, okay, so, uh, it's Arlington Stadium, right? Is what it's okay, called. Yeah, or? and so, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, no, it used to be. Um, they're, they're, it's in Arlington. Uh, it's across the street uh, from yeah. from that stadium. They now play in a shed, a metal <laughs> shed. They used to play in one of the most pristine parks in all of Major League Baseball. Yeah, they it had said, all that brick. no, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's too hot. So now we're going to have them play in air conditioning, which I'm totally fine with. However, it's now. Um, it looks like uh, I, I've seen I've seen somebody make it look like a grill, like a, out of the back patio. <laughs> so that's what I would ask you. If if you're constantly trying to add stadiums, good luck trying to do that. But uh, if that gets you back here to visit us, then uh, come back and check out the uh, air conditioned park for the Texas Rangers. Oh, definitely, man. Absolutely. But uh, where are you up to then in your goal? Uh, I'm not much
1: further since I've written that probably. And to what you're saying, yeah, I think it would be mostly for the cities. Uh, I've, I've been to San Francisco. Uh, I've been to, you know, the Rangers stadium, uh, the Yankees. Uh, I've been to the Mets. I've been Mm -hmm. to Shea. Um, there's another one here I'm missing. Oh, uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Really nice stadium. Um, I've been there. Mm -hmm. There's somebody else I'm missing now. It's bothering me. You know which stadium I really want to see, which is shouldn't be a problem for me, is Pittsburgh. That stadium looks really cool with the backdrop.
0: Yes, 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 and the yes. The bridges sir.
1: where the sure three does. rivers meet.
0: It sure does. So you can't just drive by the stadium; you have to actually attend a game at it for it to count, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, good luck, man. Um, Thank if you get you. back to Thank Texas, you. let me know. Um, maybe I'll meet up with you in Atlanta sometime when the Yankees are in town there. That'd be fun. Uh, definitely man that's cool man good luck so you grew up with a sister i did Uh, i did my sister uh are we gonna talk about her or uh i suppose we
1: could uh there's you know it's a it's a a very strange story um i mean my sister was three years older than me but about four years ahead of me in school so like as i graduated eighth grade she was graduating high school And we kept moving on. She uh, eventually would go to Virginia Tech, where when she was there, uh, she began dating a player who was on the baseball team there. And he was a great guy. Uh, I think, in fact, he ended up being drafted to go to Major League Baseball. I don't remember his name at the time. I was only 15. It was Bernie uh,
0: Williams in your room. Yeah, that that would have been.
1: That would have been something. But at the time, you know, uh, my parents like and it's funny now being a young parent thinking about what they've kind of had to go through uh, with her situation or this this uh, almost like a family tragedy, if you will. So this this uh, her this man she was dating essentially was African-American and it became a little bit of a concern of hers that it wouldn't be accepted with my parents. And uh, I think she was too caught up in the idea that like, well, my parents grew up and like, you know, they were born in the fifties and they, they grew up during basically uh, the civil rights movement. So they would never understand this, but my father always stood behind the idea of like a man is a man, as long as he's a good man, you know? And uh, Mm -hmm. so that she struggled with that. And nothing would ever amount to the relationship she had with this individual and my parents did their best to say like you know we don't we don't have an issue with anything you do as long as you're happy and we want you know you to be with a good person Mm -hmm. but somehow that didn't really translate well with her and it was when she was 20 years old and in between semesters She was back in Wayne, working at a macaroni grill. This was like a summer before fall semester. And she met a man who was about eight years older than her, who was a busboy at the macaroni grill. And then little things started happening around the house that were kind of concerning to my father. Uh, You know, he he would find things missing around the house. Um, And then... At one point, they found this man's license, uh, which, in fact, it wasn't even a, a driver's license; it was a boater's license, and they found it uh, like in the seat of the car. And they were like, you know, why, why are you dating this guy that's like almost ten years older than you? You're, you're still in college, like, uh, you know. You've been kind of hiding this person from us. And uh, my sister kind of went off the hinges and said, you know, you guys would never understand. You don't know how hard he's worked. He's gone to law school, but nothing's working out for him. And my father would always ask, like, the good pressing questions. Like, I don't understand how a man who's gone to law school, though, is just busboying tables at 28 29 years old like why wouldn't he have a better job and and more importantly why have you not like attempted to introduce this person to us Mm -hmm. and so um again all this is happening while i'm only 16 and i'm i'm still like trying to figure out uh you know myself and, and high school and what's going on and then eventually there would come a day uh, that it was basically the day my sister was going back to school. And my parents had had many conversations with her, like, you know, please just make sure that you spend your personal time and you invest your love and you invest yourself into relationships that are going to better you, not bring you down. And my my sister would always blow that off a little bit to the degree of like, yeah, yeah, you just you just don't understand because you're not me. And my parents, you know, were like, you're you're 20 years old. Like there is so much more for you to learn still. So, um, but then lo and behold, there was a large sum of money that appeared to be missing, uh, oh, no. a couple, a couple weeks after my sister departed to go back to college. And, uh, this would freak you out, man. This was, you know, so online banking was like still really not fully a thing. Um, mm-hmm so my sister actually under the ruse of playing my mom went to a bank and said her said she was my mother um and that she she had a passbook with her again this is back when people were still carrying passbooks i mean some people still do but it's very rare now you know and so she had the passbook with her and took out a large sum of money that was in the five figures So, so as my parents discovered this, it was like, how, you know, how could you have done this? Where, where is this money? Like, what did you do? And my sister's response was, well, I I gave it uh, to this gentleman that I've been dating from the macaroni grill. He's trying to start a real estate business. And my parents, I should preface also, both had real estate licenses when we were very young kids. So they completely understood how real estate works. They my, they would always do it as like a side hustle. Um, my dad had owned a couple of multifamily buildings for extra income at the time also. So he was like, what are you talking about? Like, this isn't how you go about doing this. Like, where's the money? You know, and um, so then when she eventually acknowledged that she gave it over and that it was all gone in this business, Uh, there was essentially the beginning of the falling out. Um, you know, and then like, so it was my 17th birthday, two days after my 17th birthday, my sister called me to wish me a happy belated birthday party. And I was crying on the phone with her. Like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on with you mom you know, you mom and dad, this is, uh, this really seems like you have taken this to the next level with some, uh, unrepairable mistakes I think you're making. And I'm sure I didn't say it as eloquently at 17. <laughs> it was probably, and uh, she told me, you know, I thought you would be the one who understood all this. And I was like, I, I can't understand how you can be with someone who you refuse to let the family meet. So, uh, and that was it. That was the last verbal conversation I ever had with my sister. And that was uh, over 22 years ago now. So I uh, because yeah. I'm 39 now. So it was over 22 years. And um, what would then end up happening after that conversation, my parents, uh, you know, they took a defensive method of like, all right, well, if she's not willing to be part of the family and she wants to steal from the family, uh, then. You know, we can we can work with that also. So my parents had gifted her uh, a brand new Honda CRV when she graduated high school as like a congratulations gift. You're going to need this to drive all the way to Virginia Tech. So my father got on a bus uh, with a one way ticket to uh, Roanoke. was that Roanoke, Blacksburg, Virginia, I think Blacksburg, Blacksburg. Virginia, Uh Yeah, where Virginia Tech is. And he walked onto the uh, school parking lot and drove the car home. And he handed me the keys when he got there and he said, you know, if your sister doesn't want to acknowledge like some responsibilities and be Mm. being essentially a nice person with mom and dad, I don't see why we should allow her to have these expensive items that we've bought her. And so that was that was kind of like, a oh, my God, like. First of all, I was like just blown away that he did that. But it was like, I totally get why you did that, too. This person stole from you. So why would you continue to allow them to use a vehicle you purchased? And then, um, you know, time would carry on like a month or so. And my dad would try to check up on her and she would refuse to answer phone calls. And we we did end up finding out at this point, uh, you know, being that money had been missing. My parents hired a private investigator who would dig up and determine like this person never went to law school. Like they told your daughter, they also had, they had a a track record of conning older women uh, or or conning older women and younger women into like, basically these get rich uh, gimmicks. And they presented this to my sister and she still refused to believe it. Like, you know, I don't care what you say. I believe what he says. And we were like, look, you know, he claimed that he went to NYU. They do not have a single record of this person ever even being there to say, even, you know, use a bathroom, like it just doesn't. So, uh, but with that private investigator, uh, we would end up finding out where this individual lived. So my dad comes in and he's like, Hey, listen, buddy, I was thinking, I, I just want to check your car out. Do you mind if I take it for a quick spin? And I said, yeah, no problem at all. And he comes back and he was, he was all broken up and deep into tears and I said, What's going on? What's going on? And he said, Well, I drove by that guy's place. And I, I should tell you that he was living in a kind of rent a room facility where, you know, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a mm-hmm. large, a large house with multiple bedrooms, but everybody has to share a bathroom. And uh-huh. it was, uh, it was in a, You know, a really not so great neighborhood.
0: Maybe it was like a halfway house or something.
1: It looked like it could be, but uh, something similar to that where, you know. Yeah. yep. So and my dad's like I I was driving by and I noticed there was a car with Virginia plates and I took it upon myself to maybe just glance inside the car. And uh, he was like, you know, because I thought it was odd that a car with Virginia plates was in New Jersey parked where this man who's dating our daughter is living. And he said, you know, look at this. Uh, the car was registered in her name as uh, he was able to find the registration in the glove box. He, he admitted that he didn't have to break into the car. The door was unlocked. Oh, and uh, and he's like, you know, so I think your sister dropped out of school and she's she's living in this house uh, with this man now. And again, remember, my sister is only 20 years old at this at the time this is happening. She's very, very immature uh, and and. Dating this man that is 28, you know who obviously there's a large I think maturity difference between 28 and 20 and I think everybody knows that so Uh, without hesitation, my mother said, well, let's go knock on the door and see what's going on. Like, you know, she hasn't called us in several months. We didn't, we, you know, maybe she dropped out of school. Let's go see what's going on. We go to this house. And if you can imagine a large colonial that's dilapidated when we knock on the door at this time, I think it's like nine 30, 10 o'clock. And the owners of this house who are renting the rooms out, they came and they answered the door. And, uh, so it's my father, my mother, and myself. And we said, you know. Hey, we're here to see the individual that lives upstairs. And, uh, you know, this is his name. So uh, she was the woman was like, yeah, no problem. You know, go up into the left and we knock on the door and he, he refused to open the door more than like four or five inches after my father said, like, this is Joe Salvatore on the other side of the door. So at this point, we knew he must be hiding or my sister's hiding behind the door. And there was an exchange of words. You know what's going on like where where is your where is christina so uh my father who now at this point has had enough he basically just puts his foot into the door and pushes this guy back now my dad at the time let me think about this 22 years ago my father was 46 uh i was 17 and then the next thing i knew for the first time in my life like i saw two grown men basically going at it and uh I can tell that this gentleman or I shouldn't even call him a gentleman. This guy was getting the upper hand on my dad. So I jumped in to try to assist and I landed a couple good punches. But then my father got kind of shoved to the side. And if you can imagine the way the stairwell worked was you walked up and then you had to button hook back to the whence, like the way you came. So all these Uh rooms were lined along the wall and there was a railing that hung over the open stairwell. So once he was able to separate my dad off of uh, off of him and I was standing in front of him. I should also tell you that he was probably about six foot two and 260 pounds and just fat, like just a really large kind of fat guy. Uh-huh. And he pushed me against the railing. And then at this moment was holding me by my belt and hanging me with my head pointed straight at the deep end of the stairwell. Oh, and no. now my mother at this moment is pleading to God to like, not, please don't drop my son. Please don't drop my son. And I could also tell you that in the middle of this fight, my mother ran into the room that was probably only like, you know, eight feet by, by nine, an extremely tiny, tiny room. And all that was in there was a bed, a television. And my sister was not. So, you know, my mother was pleading with him, like, please don't drop my son. Please don't drop my son. She started crying and, uh, I was cursing at the top of my lungs and, uh, you know, just full of piss and fire like every 17 year old kid would be at that moment thinking you're invincible and not really understanding that if this guy drops me, I'm probably going to break my neck. And uh, so eventually he does kind of let go where I'm able to shift my weight backwards and then I slipped out to the side. And now just it becomes a verbal converse, a verbal argument. And this whole arrangement, I want to say, maybe lasted like five minutes. But in that five minutes of course the police were called because it was like oh my god what's all this noise and right it's all this yelling Mm -hmm. so there's lots of uh cursing and yelling and the police end up showing up and as the police are separating it this guy decided that he wanted to run his mouth about my parents and uh you know he he was like calling my parents racist that they wouldn't understand like what you know uh he's got going on with my sister and uh he called my father enough names that I ended up losing my cool and I charged at him. And in that process, we were at the top of the stairwell and like the thin hallway that was kind of running the long way you would over the opening of the stairwell. Uh-huh. And I ended up knocking one police officer over. Well because I, I literally ran straight through them but that didn't go well either I would end up being I didn't, I would end up being grabbed from behind and handcuffed and then dragged Aww. down the stairwell and uh I was put on the floor and again my mother now is crying and pleading with the police so I eventually told them I've calmed down I'm really sorry and they take me outside and fortunately you know uh, the officer who restrained me, he knew who I was because he had a fellow officer whose son was on the wrestling team with me. So he knew like, I know this kid is a good kid. What's happening here is not, this is, you know, a family problem. Mm -hmm. This is not anything. Mind you, everybody separates their ways at this night. Uh, my my parents are told you know you have to wait and see what the sheriff decides to do this individual may also want to press charges against you you can press charges against him because uh you know at this time i had a bloody nose my father had had a a, a bruise on his face from getting hit and uh so the next day i would get a phone call that he did decide to press charges against all three of us and the charges were all kind of ramped up on the idea of like oh uh you know, you guys were trespassing. You were trespassing with the motive of assault and the with the intent of assaulting me, simply based on my race. So oh. i i I would then uh, have to go back down to the police station. I was fingerprinted, uh, had to give my sworn testimony of what happened, and my parents, at this point, pleaded with my sister. They sent her an email, like, you know, your brother was only following us to go find out if you were there. And it appears that you used our money that you stole to buy this guy a car because you weren't there, but you registered a car and he's using it. And your brother really has nothing to do with this. You know, like, can't you get this guy to drop the charges on your brother? He's going to hopefully go to college next year. You know, this is the last thing we really need to be dealing with for him and we'll figure it out. And my sister's response back was, I'd be happy to, uh, think about that. If you were to send me $10,000 on a money oh order, yeah, $10,000 in a money order. And if you were to give me a written letter of apology to both myself and the person whose name I'm not going to even bother using. So, uh, so to that now, again, being 17 full of piss and fire, I was kind of like, yeah, no, I will just go to court uh, and deal with whatever the, you know, the judge decides. So now maybe I want to say six to nine months have gone by. My parents completely lost communication with my sister and I have to go now go to court for this argument. And, and, and my case kept coming up sooner because I was juvenile and there was more adult cases, I assume with what was going on in the world or whatever. So, uh, I had to go sit in court was on the stand, had to describe the whole entire story while this guy was like sitting there and, you know, just being obnoxious and giving dirty faces across the courtroom at my parents and myself. And uh, they kept trying to push that this assault was based on, you know, racist motives and that we were trespassing, but it eventually, all the charges would be found not guilty because obviously I didn't show up there with my parents on the idea to just assault someone. And then obviously I wasn't there to assault him based on his race. And obviously I didn't assault him, I was defending my parents. But the judge did say, look, you did have a domestic disturbance in a place of residence. So I cannot let you know Dominic essentially go without some type of penalty. So I then would have to be placed on probation for six months. Which was kind of—I just remember feeling like I cannot believe that. Like now, I have to go to probation, and my first day of probation, you're sitting in this room where you have to go speak to a probation officer. You know, who's usually like essentially is a cop for the state, the sheriff department from the county and everybody in there has a story of course so like there's a kid about my age and he's asking me what did you do and i was like i just got into a fight you know (laughs) and he was like and i was like so what about you and he's like oh i got caught selling heroin on a school playground and i was just like wow this is great so so i was like this is great so like because of my sister and this like basically bs relationship that she decided to have with not such a great individual i am now sitting in the same office as a drug dealer to kids and you know this is this is terrific like you know wow. so wow that ended up uh you know uh and again like the last time i talked to her uh it was a couple of days after my 17th birthday so then to fast forward i want to say uh, i think i was about 27 i d- ended up finding out an email address uh because she's tried staying in touch with um elderlies of my family, like my grandmother, my grandfather. And we'll, mm. you know, I could tell you more about that. And, uh, so I did email her and at this time I had gotten engaged and I was hoping we could move on from it. And I sent her an email, like, I uh, you know, uh, a lot has changed in, in 10 plus years. Like I hope you and I could just maybe have a cup of coffee and try to talk some things out. And her response first, she had one, her first response was very well, uh, poised, uh, it was grammatically correct, the use of words made sense, <laughs> like it had the proper pum- pum- uh, punctuation so then when I replied, her next reply like everything was all over the place, run on sentences completely uh you know, using the wrong versions of theirs and twos in places that it's like somebody you was in her email, huh? Uh, so I think that's eventually what, what it was. And I could tell that either she was bipolar or somebody else was answering emails on her behalf. And so wow, that was again, over, yeah, I think I was 27. So that was 12 years ago. And then fast forward to two years ago today or so, uh, my grandmother passed away and we found that she maintained, uh, thank you. Uh, she maintained a relationship with my grandmother and then, uh, my grandmother who became, uh, towards her later years in life, you know, suffered dementia like most, oh, yeah. but my grandmother kept this secret from her whole family, especially my mother, which was just devastating. Uh, you know, cause my mom would be there crying about like what happened with my daughter. I haven't seen her in 15 years. Like, I don't even know if she's alive anymore, but my grandmother was maintaining this relationship with her and would keep it completely secret. And then, uh, when the will came out, it my she had somehow finagled
0: no. my grandmother oh.
1: to leave her like over $40,000. Oh. So it was like, once again, it just seemed like you have completely stolen from this family. You know, uh, you you set all of this up and we believe you took, you know, she must have taken advantage of uh, a sweet old lady, to be quite honest. So, yeah. uh, So, yes. I do have a sister, but I could also tell you in that last five years, she's been in some type of trouble with uh, debt. And I keep getting phone calls from debt collectors. Like at least I want to say five times a year, someone will call and say, you know, she's due to appear in court because she has a small claims put against her, those kind of things. And the last time that I received one of those phone calls, I ended up, uh, I did something that just kind of came out of my mouth without any thinking and i told the guy on the phone listen i heard a couple of years ago she passed away so i don't know how i can help you and um so that's kind of how i've and then you know and i that went home stops I, it, huh? that yeah so that stopped it at, for now anyway i haven't gotten another phone call in a couple of years for someone looking for her but i did have to go home and tell my wife that story like you know, it's, again, it's been over 20 years since I physically talked to her. It's been even longer since I physically have seen her. Um, we did have that one email correspondence, but who knows the truth behind the other side of that computer. So it was like, maybe this is just me moving on now is that I have yeah. to tell myself, you know, and I think what became like really hard from experiencing like this at like such a young age was then, um, it definitely affected my relationship with people, you know, because you have all this trust in family that like, you know, blood is blood, you know, you'd lay down your life, you'd lay your life down for anyone in your family. But then when you have somebody who's been, you know, like hiding, uh, with you, like playing games, of hide and seek, or when like mom and dad are having an argument, she, like, she, she would be helpful and say like, come on, let's go sit in the basement and stay out of their way. You know, when, uh, when I was in high school and before this incident happened, like she would give me rides places and was really actively socially involved in, Hey, who's this girl you're talking to? She seems really cool. She's cute. You know, like always was a good sister, a good sibling. And then like a light switch, you know, stole from the family, lied to the family and, uh, and then some. So well, it, I, it, it, de- you haven't
0: it, alluded to it, but it, it definitely sounds like uh, an influence from drugs too.
1: Oh, I'm sure it was, Uh, you know, um, I do know that she was experimenting with different things with this guy. And uh, that, in fact, there was, um, you know, she did tell me one story and I kept that private uh, from my parents. Because I wanted to, like, be a good brother. But then all these things happened. Yeah. And I had to tell my parents, like, yeah, you know, she did tell me a little bit that she was kind of seeing this guy and hanging out and that they would take ecstasy together. So, oh. like, then my parents thought maybe this is what's going on. But, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it became uh, at a really young age, it was just awkward because you have to immediately grow up essentially overnight. Yeah. where you're like and and at and meanwhile you know i had a really strong family foundation like i was saying and my parents though uh would you know you could see it on their faces how this was just devastating to them and really heartbreaking and we had a conversation once that My dad had to tell me, look, you know, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work out between your mom and I, you know, we love each other and we love you, but with a situation this big, we have different ideas of how we maybe should have handled this. And like some people are casting guilt on one another, you know, how did this happen? It must've been your fault. No, it must be my fault. And he, he warned me that he thought, you know, we might end up getting divorced after this. So like, but understand if that happens. It, you know, it was strictly because we couldn't come to
0: agreements. Not a reflection on you, Tom.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, if, and, of course, like, I was old enough to understand what he was saying. But at the same time, like, you don't want to be 16, 17 years old. And right. you're like, so because of my, you know, uh, whack job sister, now my parents are getting divorced. Like, you know. Uh, the hits just so, keep on coming. Yeah, but luckily that didn't happen. My parents are still happily married. Uh, very much. And very much love each other. That's so good yeah and uh, and I think it, it you know it, it increased the bond between my mom and I. Things were always like my dad and I and my sister and my mom and my mother and I kind of and you know That's got closer man. because of it. but yeah, it definitely yeah. affected me uh, with relationships I bet. Of, I think and trust I you know just, trust in
0: your story yeah
1: yeah, man. Um, but
0: I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer here at, at the mic. No 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 no, no, no. No, 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 no. We cover a lot of ground here. People can find you on social media. Uh, yes, I will yeah, okay. share my
1: my Instagram handle is live from boredom. Um,
0: live from boredom,
1: which is uh, live from boredom was like my uh, my AOL instant messenger screen name from a long, long time ago. And that <laughs> that hand- how
0: did you get that?
1: I was just up late one night, and I'm sitting at the computer, and I'm like, all right, let me try out this instant messenger thing, which is basically AOL Uh Lite. And I was like, I guess I need a new screen name. And I was like, man, I'm really, really bored right now. And I was like, well, here I am, live from boredom.
0: Uh, And that was it. it. And, and you've just made that your social media handle now um, from originally with Mess Instant Messenger. <laughs> yeah, so it's all the way like Instagram.
1: Well, yeah, almost 30 years later or whatever it's been, you know, like uh, <laughs> 20-something years later. Yeah, here Where's we are with Live From you know. I will be honest, my, my Instagram account, though, is probably boring, like the handle mentions. It's going to just be pictures of my kids uh, doing funny, silly
0: Aww. things and... That's cute.
1: Uh, maybe other embarrassing Domi Cakes moments.
0: Dommy Cakes. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> That's really what my handle probably should have been. Was the oh, my gosh. Name of Wait Kakes. a minute. Wait a minute. Wait
0: a minute. Wait a minute. I'm so glad before we finished recording, you just triggered a memory in my brain about you. Because... I have an email here that I just looked up. We're looking up old emails today here on At The Mic. Um, October 21st, 2012. Okay. This is an Real email from you to me and JP, a previous guest uh, on this show. Great guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Proud new father also. Uh, uh Yes, yes. And we tell the story yep. uh, in that conversation of... Uh, the birth of his oh, child yeah. no, in the backseat of a car, yep, in, yep. in the uh, parking lot of the hospital, didn't quite make it. Um, <laughs> but but here is an email to us, and it's a, it's a work related email. Hey, can you add me to the blah 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 blah? And it's signed Dummy Cakes, <laughs> and I remember seeing that and going, should I? Am I supposed to? Start calling him Dummy Cakes? Anyway. Yes, so, so I love it. T- <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up here.
1: <laughs> so Dommy Cakes was a nickname, uh, like I mentioned my best friend Nate in college. Just one day he just called me up and he was like, Dommy Cakes, what are you doing? Like and <laughs> he just he just had this demeanor that he could take two words and slap yeah. them together and make it sound like it was meant to be. Yeah, and, uh, we all that, have a friend like that, don't we? <laughs> yeah, and that was it. It stuck. Everybody heard him call me that, and it just stuck in that circle of life for me. That uh, everybody knew me there as Tommy. So
0: cool. Or That's Nico. Cool.
1: Nico was another nickname that floated around a lot in college. Wait,
0: where did what, how do how do you how do you spell that, and where did that come from? N
1: I C O. Nico. So yeah. Nico was like a. I think it's more of Oh, Greek Dominic. Ni- yeah, with you just yeah. move that O from the Nick to the O. You all know? right,
0: I like and, it. Uh, That's pretty cool.
1: There's a funny story behind that one. I don't know if you want to include this, but so in college there was that first night when everybody gets together. It's great to see you. How was your summer? I got class uh-huh. tomorrow. And we started talking about how the first day of class is so awkward and the teacher will be like, is there anything else you would like to go by other than your given name? And I, I made the joke like, you know, what if somebody stood up and was like, oh, actually everybody calls me Smokey at home, you know, or like <laughs> Bobo Baggins or something, anything.
0: Now something it's your chance. So. Yeah.
1: Right. And so then, uh, I laughed and and my buddies were laughing about it. And so one of them was in a in a psychology class I had with and uh, with me. And when the teacher asked if there's anything else I'd like to be called, and I said, "Well, my friends in high school used to call me Nico," and that's completely untrue. <laughs> no one called me
0: Nico. <laughs>
1: and, so, and so the teacher said, "No problem, Nico. That'll do it." And meanwhile, I think it might have been Mitch who was to my right or left, and he was just like holding his laughter. He could, you know, trying to choke his laughter down. So then this psychology class, I had all these thirty to forty kids in this class knew me as Nico Salvatore because after day one, they forgot my real name was Dominic. So. <laughs> And like one night we're at a party, and uh, my buddy PJ is like, um, "You know, my girlfriend just said to me, Dominic, that you look a lot like a guy named Nico in her psychology class. Have you been?" T- <laughs> He's like, "Have you been telling people your name is
0: Nico? <laughs> like that is so great!" And I was that like, "That is yep. so cool,
1: man. <laughs> okay,
0: well, Nico, I appreciate uh, you taking time here uh, today." Uh, reminiscing the good old days uh, yeah, when we man. would go to a class and they would ask what name would you like to go by, as opposed to today's classes they ask you uh, what, what pronoun? your pronouns. Pronouns. <laughs> uh, I can't. I just. I cannot. Okay, man. Uh, anyway, Dommy Cakes, thanks for making time here. Uh, look for I him uh, on Instagram. Uh, live from boredom. Mm. Dominic Salvatore thanks for joining me here on At The Mic Buddy
1: oh man really really appreciate it as well thank you as well and
0: just one of the world's nicest guys Dominic Salvatore former co-worker of mine at Blaze TV I appreciate you uh, making time to hear our conversation hopefully you can join us for our next conversation a week from now when I sit down with another former Blaze co-worker of mine a guy that is genuinely a true inspiration with his life story John Saito sits down with us uh, a week from now i hope you will join us for that conversation until then if you feel that we've earned it here uh with at the mic i hope you'll take a moment to rate and review this podcast please do give it five stars over at apple itunes or spotify feel free to drop us a note through at the mic show.com that's the website and don't forget we've got the youtube channel it's youtube.com slash at the mic with keith you're subscribing over there would be so greatly appreciated as well please also take a moment to share just pick out one episode that's all we ask of this podcast uh to with someone in your world and we're looking to grow this audience the website to find every episode is at themikeshow.com. we can only grow this audience with your help so thank you so much well until we sit down again i hope above all else that you will go be free and thank you for listening this has been At the
1: Mike with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to at themicshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.